Welcome to the Healthcare Information and Management System Society, Southern California podcast, where we explore emerging trends at the intersection of information technology and healthcare management. Hims is a global advisor and thought leader supporting the transformation of health ecosystem through information and technology, and includes over 80,000 individual members and over 1,000 provider and healthcare services organizations. Check out socal.himschapter.org for more information on local Southern California events, membership, and resources. This is your host, Paul Butler, and today we are joined by our special guest, Adam Keller. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, Adam is a health information privacy and security expert with 25 years experience and holds a certified information systems security professional certification, as well as a certified ethical hacker certification. That is a remarkably interesting and unusual certification. And we're going to talk with Adam more about that in a second. So Adam has led health information security risk assessments as a consultant over the last 10 years and is currently a healthcare services practice director of risk security and privacy at online business systems. He has been a speaker at the HIMSS Security Forum and other HIMSS chapter events and has been published in several security-related publications. So, Adam, you have a very unusual job in that part of what you are trained to do, certified to do, and paid to do is to break into your client's systems. Uh, a lot of people don't know that that is actually a, a, a thing on the White Hat side. So tell us about what that entails and why your clients pay you to do this. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit unusual. Um, but I think, I think it is important to understand that as we look at uh, how we protect our systems, is really to have a good understanding of how um, how attackers break into the system, uh, and in order to do that, you actually have to be able to to know how to do it. So that that's the basis of certified eth- ethical hacking. And uh, often, um, when when we're contracting with clients, we use we use the term penetration testing. So we may have as part of our uh, engagement is we will actually have a, a penetration testing part of that engagement where uh, where we we do our best to actually try to um, identify vulnerabilities in the system and actually uh, break into the systems uh, to show how attackers would do it and demonstrate where the weaknesses are. So you know we we certainly try to make sure that we we include the term ethical in there and we have we have um, of uh, terms of uh, and conditions of, of how we're going to do it and when we're going to do it. And, and sometimes it even actually includes physical access where, you know, we test physical security. And that's where it gets really uh, important to, to understand what the terms are and, uh, and, and if, heaven forbid, the police show up, uh, that you have a get-out-of-jail-free card in your pocket to show them that, that no, this is actually part of an authorized test. And, and we, were, we were contracted to do this. And um, and so they they understand that, and that that certainly does happen on occasion with with penetration tests. So it it does walk that that fine line between um, between the white hat and the black hat, uh, which is why it's often called gray hat hacking. But it's it's uh, definitely one of the more interesting aspects of information security. I'll tell you. I have heard of some that even specialize in certain things like social engineering to gain access. To IT data centers and so forth. Does your 
does your practice include that or are you more completely electronic? Yeah, no, we've done we've done a certain amount of social engineering as well. And honestly, it's it's a really important way to uh, to test your security because that is oftentimes how attackers get in. Whether those attacks come through email, the phone, or even in person trying to social engineer their way into a data center or or a sensitive part of an of an organization to get physical access to a network or you know other types of information. So you could be consulting on the next spy thriller movie if we ever have movie theaters open again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you had said um, earlier that you've helped a lot of different organizations and have seen ones that are fairly knowledgeable and others that just don't have a clue. What do you see as the top information security threat to today's healthcare organization? Is there a top one that stands out among all the others? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll back up just a second to say that, that yeah, I've done a lot of work in healthcare, right from the little one-doc office in a remote part of Pennsylvania up to uh, larger healthcare systems and, and everything in between. And uh, there definitely is a, a range of capabilities and, and maturity and information security. Unfortunately, healthcare as a whole is uh, pretty far behind a lot of other sectors, uh, which is unfortunate because we hold some of the most uh, most valuable information as far as um, you know black market value and, and things like that. So we're, we're the richest um, target, but unfortunately with some of the more lax security makes it a really prime target for attackers. And, uh, and, and what we're seeing as absolutely the number one top threat to healthcare organizations continues uh, to be ransomware. Uh, it's, it's still affecting organizations. It, it's been around now for at least three or four years. Uh, well, it's been around longer than that, but it's been probably the top threat uh, for three to four years. Uh, but organizations are continually being um, uh, attacked and uh, compromised uh, by by ransomware. And the reason I list it as the top threat is uh, because not only is it affecting organizations, uh, it, ha- it's, it has a demonstrative effect on uh, hospitals, health centers, and doctor's offices, and actually their, their ability to provide care. So some of these cybersecurity threats are sometimes very theoretical, or you know maybe we got some a virus and and we clean it up and and you know it, we do an incident report, um, but but it you know it it doesn't get over to the operations side. But ransomware has a direct uh, impact on on the operations of a healthcare center. And so for those who are not uh, familiar with exactly what ransomware does um, does it actually prevent the use of uh, electronic medical record? I mean, tell us what it what it does when it gets inside the systems. Yeah, so ransomware it's often delivered uh, through you know a phishing attack, which is like an email scam, uh, or taking advantage of some other vulnerability. Uh, often, you know, a user clicking on a malicious link, uh, it'll get installed the same way other you know malware like viruses and and things like that get installed. But what's different about ransomware is it will actually encrypt the files on that system and hold them for ransom, so to speak. Uh, so it will say, send you know, X dollars in Bitcoin to this address and we'll provide you the decryption key so you can decrypt your information and, and get back going. 
And often what, what they'll do is they won't just they won't just encrypt the first system they see, which is generally a workstation, which you know usually isn't too critical. It'll try and infect the rest of the network and get to the 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 crown jewels, so to speak, the the EMR server, the file servers, the email server, and lock those up. So they're completely inoperable. And the data on it is only recoverable by paying the ransom and getting getting the recovery key. Uh, and what what they'll often do, the more sophisticated ones, is they'll actually try and uh, infect the backups as well before they lock everything up. So you can't just restore from your backups. Uh, you really have lost all of your information until you actually go and and pay that ransom. So it starts with it, so so. IT security professionals spend a lot of time fortifying the perimeter of their networks to keep out the bad guys. And what you're saying is this actually works by getting invited on the inside. And then once it's within the network, it, it's fairly easy to propagate to the different systems because most of the effort that's been put on the perimeter has been bypassed. And now uh, you are, uh, quote unquote, have permission to get inside and actually do damage to these systems by encrypting them in a way that it can't be decrypted by your client. Is that is that a yeah? Good and sum? and that's that's um, a model of security that has changed in the past ten years. It like you said, it used to be, <clears throat> it's like the castle walls. You 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 just you protect the perimeter, the castle walls. You put up your firewalls, uh, but then everything inside the network is trusted and 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 good, and everything can talk to each other. And uh, in, in today's model, that, that doesn't hold anymore because there are so many ways to get into a network that what you have to do is, is you really have to treat, um, treat things like workstations and, and devices that people bring in and mobile phones and, and, and iPads and all these things, treat them as untrusted and, and really lock away your, your sensitive information in separate network segments um, requiring access extra access controls to get to them because you really have to assume that your workstations are going to get infected with something. It, it will happen. You just have to uh, plan for it and, and accept that it's going to happen. So in the event that it does happen, you don't want it propagating to your more sensitive systems. So now the model is more, instead of, instead of putting up the castle walls, you, you actually have smaller segments within your networks. And some organizations will actually go as far as there, there's a new model called zero trust networks where you don't trust anything. Um, I don't think we're there yet as far as implementing those practically, but you do really need to take some time to understand where your sensitive information is and protecting it from those, uh, we'll say, um, less trusted systems. So... You talked about black market value of healthcare records being something that the the black hats are out after. So, get, do you have you know just anecdotal? No, don't worry, nobody's going to uh, quote you on this. <laughs> uh, evidence of uh, it used to be the big thing was to get in and get credit card information right. back in the day, and uh, I think classically people still think of that. You know, the, all the identity theft problems as as individual retail consumers, the problems with people getting a hold of credit cards and the value of a credit card on the black market. Um, does the value of a patient record exceed that? I mean, what is what? It, it give us some sense of scale and how. 
how targeted the black hats are after the healthcare um, uh, patient record community because of the value of those records and what they can do with them. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the, the biggest challenges I have sometimes when I'm speaking with healthcare organizations, because uh, you know, the, typically, and I can't count how many times a doctor has said to me, um, you know, I don't care who sees my colonoscopy. What 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 do I care if they know that I, I had a colonoscopy? I don't know why they always choose colonoscopy as their example, but um, it, that's and that's actually not not the real threat. Um, the the real threat is uh, identity theft and insurance fraud. You know, especially here in the United States, where where healthcare costs a premium um, to have someone else's identity to be able to use to provision healthcare holds a lot of value. And, and that's where the target is. So as far as the actual value, I mean, I've, I've seen a range of everywhere from $5 to $500 for, for a medical record. I guess it depends on uh, the, how much information is included in there and who you're selling it to. I don't know. I don't know why the, why such the, the range, but uh, typically, a credit card will get you about 50 cents. So there you can see that the, the medical record has um, orders of magnitude more value. And part of the reason for that is that the credit card companies have done a great job of limiting the liability and lifetime of that credit card number. So you use it uh, maliciously, and uh, they, they figure it out, and they cancel the number, and that credit card number is dead. Uh, you can't use it anymore. So it's a very limited lifetime and ability to use it. Whereas everything that you have in a medical record uh, is hard to change. It, it's really hard to change your, uh, you know, your name, your address, your history, your age, um, uh, your maybe medical number, uh, social security number. You know, all those things are inherent to you, and uh, and can't just be changed like a credit card number. So the lifetime of the information uh, is is a lot greater than than that it would be for a credit card number. So this is really uh, fascinating to me because I think the popular notion that the hackers are after personal information does has not traditionally extended to a good understanding of what happens in the in the healthcare realm, and that it would be a hundred or a thousand times more valuable than than the credit card numbers. So most people have had the experience where they've had credit card fraud. I I just had it. Uh, although, the, as you said, the AI software is so good these days that they'll pick up that a gas station charge in another state was probably not you. And we'll, uh, we'll you know, I get text in the middle of the night. I said, did you charge this in Arlington? I said, no, <laughs> not, not in Arlington, <laughs> right? But the, the, the uh, issue with the healthcare is that it is, it has so much more permanence and cannot be corrected so easily. And there's no you know, there's no chip reader, right? So you can't you can't enforce physical security around. So how? What is the future in in the uh, provider business to help secure this kind of valuable information? Because I think the awareness among most CIOs at hospitals and either in larger systems on this issue is really muted. It's not. It's not been. Uh, top of mind has been delegated down to the security person to maybe a CISO, and we'll talk about CISOs in a in a minute here. But you know, how do you protect? You know, since the banks have gotten a way to protect on the card business, what's the corollary over on the healthcare side? How do you help clients protect and mitigate the risk? 
Yeah, again, it, it's hard because there's there's no silver bullet, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think the first thing that it takes is the attention of the boards of directors and the C-suites. Uh, you know, with, without their uh, clear um, um, efforts and prioritization of uh, of protecting the information, uh, organizations probably don't don't have a lot of chance of of actually succeeding. Uh, so it requires that, and that it is it is getting more attention, especially as uh, as we get more information on uh, breaches that are occurring and the cost of breaches and and fines and legal liability associated with them and 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 frankly um, high level people um, being removed after a significant breach I think it's starting to get a lot more attention but you're right I mean healthcare is still is still um, behind other other sectors uh, as far as actual um, uh, things to do to to protect the information. It's really a lot of the things that information security professionals have been have been trying to do for for years, um, which is just which is a comprehensive security program that includes uh, proper policies and procedures, auditing, uh, logging and monitoring, um, patching, uh, multi-factor authentication, kind of all those things together. Uh, you really have to, you, you refer to the, the security onion uh, often, you have to have all these layers of controls because there's no one thing you can do to really just uh, say, well, we'll do that and, and then all of, our, um, all of our information will be protected. So it, it's, it's a very difficult problem. And unfortunately, the attackers are often one step ahead of us. Uh, so we really have mm-hmm. to be on our game at all times to make sure we're protecting this information. So Adam, um one of the the changes that's happening in the business is that chief information security officers or CISOs are becoming more popular, but they're very expensive people, and there's widely different uh, uh, levels of capability, if you will, and, and, and job descriptions around that. Are CISOs vital in today's organization? And if they are, what has changed in the technology or the environment that makes them vital? I mean, how do they, what role do they play that's different than the other IT security engineers that have maybe been on staff at a particular provider or have maybe have been contracted? Uh, or what is, what is the benefit of a CISO and what can an organization to do if it doesn't necessarily have the money to hire such an expensive resource? Is there a concept of a virtual CISO? Can you talk to this? Yeah, and, and that's something we're, we're seeing more and more of. Um, but in answer to your first question, the chief information security officer, where, whether you call it that or not, uh, may have a different title, but that role is critical in, in healthcare these days. Uh, as we have increasing uh, legal uh, requirements and um, and compliance requirements, as well as just the the whole effort to protect information as it goes outside the boundaries of the castle into the cloud and and uh, on mobile devices and and throughout the organization. It's really important to have someone sitting at that top level to really set the direction and um, and set up the program for the for protecting that information. And uh, in, in security, we often talk about the triad. There's, there's confidentiality, integrity, and av- availability. So it's not just about protecting the information uh, from attackers, but it's also making sure that information is available to the people that need it at the time that they need it uh, without putting it at, at risk for, um, for compromise. 
so the reason that um, you want to have that CISO identified is because a lot of organizations will will say, well, you know, we have an IT manager and this is an IT problem and uh, they're really good with firewalls and antivirus and patches and all that stuff. So we'll make the IT manager our, our security officer. Um, and unfortunately, the the issue of information security goes uh, well beyond that of a technical problem. And the IT manager, maybe you do have that unicorn who has the IT knowledge and the security knowledge, but typically uh, those two things are separate uh, because information security, it touches every part of an organization that includes human resources, operations, facilities, legal, and of course, IT and you have to be able to be able to sit on top of all that and understand not only the technical aspects of it, but also how the business operates and how data flows through the organization and how people use it. And being able to put in proper, uh, you know, HR screening and background check procedures, as well as operational procedures that don't put information at risk and all those things in together. So that's why it's important that the that the CISO sits outside of the IT organization and has uh, has a proper place in the organization that can that can see throughout. Now, like you said, a lot of organizations don't have the the budget or even the need for someone to sit there full time uh, and do and and do the oversight of the security program. So, one thing that's making a lot more sense and and is gaining a lot of traction in the industry is what we call the the virtual CISO or the VCSO. <clears throat> So this is basically, um, you know, someone that that you contract on a retainer uh, for maybe a certain number of hours a month, or you know, maybe for a limited time, uh, depending on how the contract is, uh, to act as your CISO. So uh, the the nice thing there is you get that expertise of someone who's been in the industry and knows what they're doing and knows um, how to set up a security program, but without having to pay them the the full time salary. So it can be right sized specifically for the organization, but you still get that expertise. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. So usually what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll do um, a maturity assessment uh, to see where the organization's at, what are their needs as far as compliance and legal, and and then put a roadmap together to say, well, here's where we are now and here's where we need to get to and kind of oversee that while at the same time addressing things as they come up. Uh, So, you know, maybe you're uh, implementing a new process or changing EHR vendors or opening a new hospital wing, addressing security contr- concerns as as the organization evolves over time. So what you're saying is that the CISO is as much business and operations as he or she is IT. It, it is. And, and really, um, information security in general, um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, hopefully my mom isn't listening to this because I'll use her as an example <laughs> because, you know, she, she just, she continually comes back to me and says, so are you, are you, are you installing security systems for your clients or what, you know, what, what's this technical thing that you do? And, uh, and really, I mean, our job as, as security consultants it's important to understand the technology and and threats, and you know that's why something like the ethical hacker certification is important for understanding the underlying technology. But really, a lot of what we do is is administrative, um, policy procedure, um, interview when we're doing assessment, uh, and and really looking at the business and how the business operates. And uh, I would say a, a small portion of that is the actual technology behind it. So it it seems to me that this is so 
specialized in terms of skill set. It's like that unicorn that you're trying to find, somebody who's capable of being a CISO, that uh, it's actually something that, unless you're a large system and can afford to hire you own, you need to go out and get this from a service if you're going to get the right kind of strategy or be willing to spend it on the hire on the on the inside because you have to bring together the technology and the operations and uh, with a good understanding of the business strategy at an executive level to understand how you can implement this without strangling the workflows and uh, getting a balance uh, you know a lot of the security guys I've I've known have been very uh, focused on security at all costs and there's no recognition of the operation operational needs and so there becomes this schism in the organization between what security wants to do and what the organization needs in terms of uh, flexibility and access and speed so i think this is an ongoing evolution and probably uh, would you say that CISO is probably one of the most fast evolving positions in in the business it seems like it yeah i, I mean certainly i mean it's it's a position that didn't exist uh, much more than 10 years ago uh, so you know the the term CISO is is really evolving, and and you're right. It really is hard to find that person that not only understands technology and business, but also understands risk. Uh, so they're not just a no person. Like no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. The answer is yes, you can do it. But here's how we need to do it to be able to uh, reduce our risk to an acceptable level. And being able to understand that. Uh, is really, really difficult. It's a non-binary thing and there's a lot of gray area and you really have to understand some nuance to be able to do it. So yes, it, it is very difficult to find uh, a, a good a good CISO who can really find that balance. The other thing that, that I think is a big issue in, today in healthcare and around security is actually understanding what's happening with your systems, actually being able to monitor them and detect uh, problems, not just you know attempted firewall penetration things like that, but there's a whole host of problems. And you can't, you know, before COVID hit, you'd go to these conferences, and there's 85 new security firms that popped up. They all had different tool sets. And um, uh, when I was CIO, the the you know the my chief um, security engineer said it's going to take a lot of work to implement these. So the monitoring and detection of an on-premise environment, and just because you're hosted doesn't mean you're 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 you know really monitoring either. You have to get it into the contract, or you, you know, it. In my opinion, lag behind. In the opinion of many CIOs I know, it really lags behind. The whole monitoring and detection service, which seems to be so good in some other industries, seems to me to be lacking in for a lot of uh, healthcare systems and it does uh it takes a long time seems to get deprioritized by the need of limited it staff internally to put out other fires and get other projects done so it's clearly hasn't been the way to run uh, an environment with critical patient data so what what can be done to effectively being a uh, to, to effectively monitor since so many of the uh, attacks and problems happen so fast how do you get a good alarm system to monitor and detect uh, the thousands of programs that you have in place? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Unfortunately, there isn't a simple answer. Um, I think you you answered part of it for me, but uh, uh, I think the first step is understanding that monitoring and detection isn't just a product that you you plug in and it's plug and play, and and you know you you've paid for it, and you know now it's now it's going to detect everything. 
uh, every organization is so different. And, um, you know, there, there are the basics, uh, they'll, you know, collect, collect the logs from, from the, the operating systems and, and switches and firewalls. And there are certain heuristics that are common across all organizations and most monitoring systems will do that. But, um, but, but the first thing to understand is that monitoring isn't just a product. Uh, it's it's a process, um, or if you're contracting it out, it's it's a service. You're you're buying a service, and and that that service is um, is not only aggregating the logs together, but being able to customize them and and really uh, understand, like you said, understand the organization and how is data flowing and what's the context in which this application is operating, so that I know specifically what to what to monitor and what to alert for. Because otherwise, you can get so much noise that you just get lost in it. So it requires continuous tweaking and whitelisting to to get that signal to noise ratio up, uh, so that when something does alert, it's meaningful and you can actually respond to it. And then it requires uh, you know a staff of of one or more, or even a team of analysts looking at those and putting them in context and understanding. Does this does this mean something that we need to follow up on, or or doesn't it? And then having that process in place to actually follow up on it. So monitoring and detection is is not an easy thing, and and most organizations, unless you're a large enterprise, don't have don't have that capability in house. And unfortunately, people do often get into a trap of going to a conference and seeing a shiny thing that's going to solve all your problems, and you plug it in, and then six months later, it's just dead because you know you didn't have the right attention to looking at the logs or, or tailoring the logs and, and it's, you know, it's, it's money wasted essentially. Uh, so it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Uh, so it, it is something that more and more is getting outsourced. Um, we call it managed security service or MSS. Um, and it's important when you're looking at MSS services to look for a vendor who asks, will ask meaningful questions about the environment. You know, they won't just go and install all their sensors across the environment and start drinking from the fire hose. They'll do it in a very deliberate way that understands the the business and the environment so that they can tailor the monitoring appropriately for each organization. I think it's going to be one of the great challenges of this decade because it is essential. And you're right, the signal to noise ratio is really awful right now. And and it's just, there, there's too much data and it's only going exponential. And being able to parse that and understand, even in professionally hosted environments, I've had an experience with a very large company that shall be remain nameless, that basically is still in this day and age where uh, we were notifying them of significant problems based on end user insight, which should never be, right? So, um, uh, I think information technology shops have a long way to go, whether they're on-premise or hosted, to to be much more proactive in getting uh, good signals. And you're right, it is a lot of work. Maybe someday it'll be simpler or build on better foundations. Um, anyways, Adam, we're, we're about out of time. Um, can you give us a short explanation of what um, your company does? and uh, give the website address of a listener who wants to learn more. And then if people want to connect with you on LinkedIn, can you spell out your last name so that they can find you? <laughs> yeah, certainly. So in answer to your first question, I work for online business systems. 
Um, our, our tag is that we're a digital transformation and cybersecurity consultancy. So we marry together the di- digital transformation services with uh, an eye on cybersecurity. And then we have a whole full suite of cybersecurity uh, offerings on the healthcare side, obviously a lot of HIPAA compliance and security risk assessment. Uh, but then we also have a managed security service that does detection and monitoring. Uh, we do a lot of virtual CISO work. And uh, and we do penetration testing as well and other services. Those are services that apply across industries, but we certainly tailor to the healthcare industry as well. Our website is obsglobal.com. That's online business systems, OBS. And uh, if you want to look me up on LinkedIn, uh, it's Adam Kaler, uh, K-E-H-L-E-R. Fantastic. Well, it's been a very interesting discussion, Adam, and you have a very interesting job. I I bet it's going to change a lot in the next five years. And I bet when you were growing up, you never said to your parents, Mom, Dad, I want to be a hacker. But don't worry, I'm going to be an ethical one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly. (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining us. And to our audience, if you like our podcast and haven't yet subscribed, please do so and stay connected with us as we explore the emerging trends in information technology and healthcare management. And be sure to check out socal.himschapter.org. That's spelled H-I-M-S-S chapter.org for more information on upcoming events, membership, and resources. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Hymns SoCal podcast. This is Paul Butler, your host. Our sound engineer has been Callister Harmon.